Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. What's up? It's been a while. Not, well, it hasn't. But it hasn't it been, but like there it. has been a lot that has happened since we last podcasted. Uh, we didn't, wasn't it Thanksgiving break or was it? Yeah, it was Thanksgiving break. No, it was the week after. I, a bad idea to try and look back on what last week was. 10 for, for days though, 10 days. It's been 10 days, uh, so we're going to kind of go rapid fire through the last four games, which included the two against Golden State that we hyped up quite a bit, and then kind of look ahead to the next week or so. Uh, Devin Booker's injury, of course, is near the top of the list of what we will get to. Where do you want to start? Uh, we got two Golden State games. The winning streak ends. Detroit and San Antonio at home. Kind of too close against those kinds of teams, I guess, is, is the takeaway from those games. I don't know. What, what was your... Where do you want to start? Do we want to... I, I think the two against Golden State are important just because that's a good team, and splitting against the other team that's kind of considered at the top of the NBA with them, I think lots of pundits are you know, putting them in a bucket together, and then everyone else is trying to find themselves still like... Bucks, Nets, obviously the Lakers have just never found it yet. Um, but the Warriors and Suns put together two pretty, well, I guess for a game and a half it was pretty intense. Um, yeah, do you want to just bucket them? And I no. <laughs> so the thing about the, about those two games when. Andrew Wiggins started picking up Chris Paul full court in the second game. It reminded me in the first game that they don't have Clay, who is their best defend, best perimeter. Def- how would you define him as like a defender compared to Draymond in terms of how where he's better? He he is a, he's a better on ball defender than Draymond. Is that too hot of a take? He's a better ball I, handler defender than Draymond. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to be at all this year, though. Okay, well, wait. Yeah, we have to wait and see. Assuming Clay is going to be nearly healthy or 90 to 95% of what he is, the matchup, there is a cause and effect kind of like, okay, if this guy's out, this guy's in, and there was a trickle down effect. That's what I was looking for for the matchups. And in, in both cases, we saw that on Tuesday, they put Draymond on Chris Paul, they put Andrew Wiggins on Booker. Uh, and then on Friday, they. They didn't even put... They put, I believe, Draymond on Aiden, and he did really well on Aiden. Surprise. They put Wiggins on Chris Paul and picked him up full court because there was no Booker there to kind of alleviate the pressure. And to me, it was like the kind of same thing where it's like, okay, like Tuesday's game is the same way in which you can look at Friday's where, okay, they, they don't have clay, so that kind of affects the ease at which the Suns were... They weren't easy. Uh, it wasn't easy offense for them either. What I'm trying to just say is there's... We cannot look at these games too seriously in terms of what they mean for the grand scale of this matchup, assuming everyone is going to be back. Nearly everyone is going to be back fully healthy. I think people got mad at me when I said 
shame we won't see these teams fully healthy when uh, on Christmas and everyone's like, oh, well, what about Dario and all this stuff? Well, like the the top three, four guys, like we're talking about Clay, we're talking about Book, potentially. Uh, we'll get to him in a minute, but that was my takeaway from the two games. I really didn't go a lot into it. It was funny because Steve Kerr after Tuesday's game which was the Suns' win, said he felt like they got too sped up. Monty, after the Suns' loss on Friday, said he felt like they got too sped up. They are two very similar teams, and when they both lost, they felt similarly about the way that they lost. Yeah, I mean, I I know like we don't want to like make grand proclamations about the matchup, but I think it's a great starting point because you saw, like you said, the Andrew Wiggins switch from a game later in the week, and I know obviously the, the Suns' change and not having book mattered, but I also think maybe they would have done that anyway. I don't know. Suns were on a back-to-back, too, which might have had something to do with it as well. Yeah, so I just appreciated watching those two games, seeing what the coaches did, the Suns in the first game. Um, I Was it with book? I think it was with before he got hurt where they went with an actual five-out small ball unit, which was different. Um, I don't know. I just enjoyed from the nerd basketball perspective, seeing two coaches like throw things out there that we hadn't seen and take it seriously. Like they, they wanted to win. They weren't hiding stuff. They wanted to see, you know, different rotations, matchups, that sort of thing, even though they probably didn't throw all their wrinkles in. Um, but I don't know. I, I took more from that than look, the, it's tough to win that many games in a row. Like, of course, the Pistons are going to hang around if they play hard. The Spurs have been playing well lately, I believe. So, um, yeah, I, I think I enjoyed and saw a lot more from the Warriors games. I So the the interesting part of the second game, and it was perspective too, I, Suns fans were frustrated with Aiton because of the way he was finishing around the rim. I, he was continuously the most aggressive guy in that game for the Suns. But it was it was just hit and miss, and kind of the trial and error for him of being really aggressive, picking up those traveling calls when he's doing dribble moves, pivot moves, things like that. That's more of what we wanted to see in the first two to three years for him. So it wasn't more of a learning experience now, but it's still a learning experience that he's going through and being more aggressive, which I think he certainly undoubtedly has been, especially since... Booker came out, but then on the Golden State side, it was like, this is why Draymond Green is the defensive player of the year. And it was like, yeah, Draymond had an effect on him, and also DeAndre just wasn't as, as aggressive as he should have been with a smaller guy on him. And it, Draymond is incredibly strong. He's one of the strongest guys in the league. But with that in mind, DeAndre should be able to bully anyone, essentially, at his size. Uh, just about anyone outside of, like I don't know, like Embiid and like three other guys that, that are at center. And to me, that that was just indicative of what will be a swing piece in the series is how the Suns prioritize Aiden and then how Draymond defends it because it looks like Draymond is going to be able to defend him. And again, if Booker and Paul are in and if Clay is in, you can still just put Wiggins on Chris Paul and you can put Clay on Book and then everything is fine there. But if one of those guys is out, if Clay is 100% and they have to put Draymond now, you can have Aiden on Looney. And like I think the main takeaway I saw from the Golden State perspective, because I was looking at their kind of reactions to everything, is like Looney can't play in that matchup, which is interesting because he's their only big guy. And of course, the the thing I'm watching the most, and we talked about this in April when we were talking about the teams that could be in the play-in, was how they exploded since Wiseman got hurt. And if they incorporate Wiseman back in, how much is that going to hurt them? They might not incorporate Wiseman back in just the way they're playing and 
I think honestly, you could put Clay on Chris Paul, and then that, like, I guess I'm worried about his legs being there this season, but, um, and, and Wiggins on books. So I think, yeah, the matchups are going to be really good and fairly hurtful for the Suns, um, from what we discovered there, but we'll have to see, obviously. And maybe they do incorporate James Wiseman, but, um, they found a lot of good stuff. Juan Toscano Anderson also had like the worst game and then the best game of his career back to back against the Suns. So it was yeah, I didn't I Friday was a lot because Mikel got hurt and when players get hurt mid game uh on the road, I'm kind of scrambling, but uh we got our story up and all that kind of stuff and then I looked at the box and I was like Gary Payton had seventeen, Toscano Anderson had nineteen, and it was it was a weird that second game was just strange and it seemed like the Suns were out of it. It was we really tried our best and other um, outside reporters would come in and ask about the winning streak like it happened today. Uh, someone from Boston was in and was asking Chris about the winning streak and just like about the mental toll it takes and he wasn't giving anything. But I, I found it telling that Monty said, gosh, I can't remember what exactly what day it was and what exactly he was talking about, but he he admitted, like said, like it was exhausting at, at, to a certain extent. It was something along those lines of like it had a toll. So it was finally an immense of like, yeah, winning 18 games in a row is really, really hard and playing at that level every night can take a can take something out of you. They had two days off on Wednesday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Monty said he believes that's probably the first time in his coaching career he's ever given guys two days off in a row. I asked him if that had to do with anything at all to do with like, okay, do you like where the team is at right now from like a progression standpoint so you feel more comfortable? And he's like, no, it wasn't even that. It was just <laughs> I, these guys needed time to rest. So I, I think from that perspective and looking at the result in Friday's game, I thought that was rather indicative and in how a team like San Antonio that is so energetic and just defensively present for most of the game gave them trouble. And I think that really lined up with like he saw that result again on Monday that he kind of did on Friday after two days, uh, two days in between games and just gave them uh, two days off. I, I yeah, I, I don't really know what else to take away from the Golden State game. I just think I think the bench battle is going to be interesting for those two teams in terms of monitoring them while they're not playing each other because progress point wise it's like okay is Gary Payton going to continue to lead the league in net rating the entire year is Toscano Anderson going to be more up and down is he going to be more consistent how does their bench look when those names come back like Damian Lee is someone who was kind of in Friday's game but not really that involved he he did not play in Tuesday's game Uh, he was away for the birth of his child and then on the other side JaVale McGee has been awesome pretty much all season campaign still getting there Cam Johnson's been good I think that is like a big swing thing for this series because both teams have a bench capable of swinging like a potential series didn't even have Iguodala kind of the backup point guard at least earlier in the season so a lot will be changing as the season goes on but yeah um I, I think even in the Spurs game on what that was Monday this Monday you saw a tired team like they're trying to get back on a winning streak but man it's I just think they play so well, and that's why I keep saying, like, they're going to get bored with winning this much, and it's going to be tough. But I think even when they feel like they're in a mental slog, this team can win a lot of games. Okay, we got two injuries to cover. We'll start with the quickest one. Um, some idiot wrote a story about how Mikel Bridges has never missed a game, and then he got hurt, and then he got that person who wrote the story got cursed at on Twitter for the rest of the game. I, I said shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> Mikel Bridges dove in for a loose ball, dislocated his right pinky finger, 
everyone was extremely worried because of the look on Mikel's face. Mikel had the look of someone who had a serious injury just happen to them on his face. The way Chris and Monty reacted to, I think Chris and DeAndre both said after the game, like, I didn't expect him to be back on the floor based on the way that he reacted. And Monty, the same thing. Uh, but he only dislocated it. It is not a break. Mikel said he's never dislocated a finger, but also when I wrote that story, I talked to him last week, and I went through every time he popped up on the injury report for the Suns over his first three seasons, and the only time that I saw where he appeared twice for the same injury was a finger sprain. So I brought up the finger sprain to him, and he's like, oh, no, like finger, finger things happen all the time. And Monty said the same thing when talking about that injury, too. Like, it's a reality of playing in the league long enough. He's he, And he was like, my fingers are messed up. It's like almost every player has... Fingers that are messed up just because of playing basketball this long at the, at that high of a level. With that being said, first time Mikel has dislocated his pinky, he is playing through right now. It does not look like it is affecting his play in terms of his, on a scale of one to Chris Paul not being able to oh, yeah. use his arm, it is about a two. Yeah. Um, he's got a, a tape or cushion sort of kind of thing on his right pinky, it looks like for now. It looked like it might have been less wrap as the game went on. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, for, that was for Monday's game against San Antonio. But he was shooting threes. He was handling the ball normally as he normally does. It wasn't one of those where Chris was like throwing a pass with his right arm and he could barely get to the corner. Or he was throwing it in the fourth row to Cam Johnson. That was the one for me, by the way, when Chris threw that pass to Cam Johnson in the corner and it nearly went in the sixth row. And I was like, yeah, he's that <laughs> shoulder is done. Um so yeah, I, I think that uh, or hand, whatever whatever we decided that it was at the time. That might that I think that was still shoulder at the time. Probably, it was yeah. As time went on, the shoulder got better. But, Kevin, for about 26 real-time minutes, however long it was, we had to sit here and comprehend how do they replace Mikael Bridges, and then you realize that there is not one player you can grab from another roster that could Mikael, replace Mikael Bridges, let alone on on the Suns. So quite a sigh of relief for everyone when he, when he came back. I feel like just the, if you've never dislocated a finger where it looks gross... I'm assuming the looking gross part, because like, not that I'm a pro athlete, but if I've never done that before and I saw my finger sticking sideways, I'd be like one freaked out that I broke it, but also two like that's disgusting, and they had the towel over it, so it looked super like the trainer's hiding that. That doesn't seem good. I don't hope there's like not a bone sticking out. Turns out it was fine enough, um, but I think. As far as the injury, it did kind of flash for whatever you said. Was it actually 26 real live minutes? I don't know. It was like a half an hour probably. Yeah. Okay, that was very like specific. That. I Just a guess. I was like, oh, that's a that's a roster flaw. If Is you it? If you lose Book and Mikel, which I know you're going to lose two of your best players already, but I was like, campaign, got to come up. You're next. Um, like I, I know, I don't know if that's a big roster flaw, but who's okay. If you don't have McKellen book, there's literally two guys who can, I guess, Alfred three, who can create off the dribble, but Alfred can't create. It goes back much. to that. Okay. You're right. I, I, I couldn't tell where you were taking. I was going to say in terms of like replacements for McKell, like a lot of teams don't have a cam Johnson who can just go in there and play right. 34 minutes yeah. a game and still play positive minutes for your team as the third wing on the roster. Um, the, the biggest worry, one of the biggest worries for me too, with that was like, Jay was probably going to have to play more if he was out. That's what I was thinking about too, because they've kept Crowder around like 24, 25 minutes a game. And Monty said, those have been consistent conversations with him and Chris, but, uh, Jay specifically, 
only guy in history who is ever going to have played the two shortest, fastest, longest, however you want to say it, seasons that the NBA has ever had and probably will ever have. So that was uh, that was scary for a number of reasons for them, but also just scary in terms of like he's a very fun basketball player to watch, and it would have been weird to watch the Suns without him because a lot of um, my personal enjoyment as a basketball fan and watching them play is, is him on the court. Like I think a lot of people listening can agree like he's just one of their favorite players to watch in the league with the way he plays, and that's not a hot take. Damian Lillard has said he's his favorite small four in the league. Everyone, everyone loves watching him play. Yeah. Um, they would have been in trouble for very many reasons, but yeah. it's all fine, Kellen. We don't need to ramble. It is fine. Uh, it's fine in that regard. It's not fine that Devin Booker is out right now, but you can argue, and, and I think that's what we can discuss here in terms of how you choose to operate uh, with your thought process on this injury in the second quarter of the first game against Golden State, which was now nine days ago. Uh, Book went up for a layup, grabbed at his left hamstring for about a half second, and then tried to just play it off as much as he could, but he was really pissed. You could just tell he was mad. As you document on ArizonaSports.com, and we discussed while you were writing up the story, hamstring injuries are nothing new for him. I think this left hamstring in particular has been one that has popped up at least once. This is the same hamstring strain that he had a year ago around this time. And we do not know if the hamstring that Monty was talking about in the finals was the left or the right, but if it was the left, this would be the third time now that, it, that it's given him an issue. That's something that happens for players every time. It's not a big deal, but it is something worth noting. We are now nine days in, and he has yet to do anything on the court, according to Monty, today. Kevin, when, when we're at a point where someone has missed at least a week or potentially two when someone has not been on the court yet, do you? I was thinking about this on the drive-in. Do you take that as it's going to take him at least a week from that day? That's usually what I think. I think it's like okay, that means they're at least a week out, and probably more, because you not only have to get the hamstring right and get through like the progression points and everything, but you also have to just get your conditioning back because now you've missed ten days, fourteen days, whatever it is. Yeah, I think a week probably is accurate but i just think at this point with where this team is the injury history um i I think it goes back to 2019 even right two seasons or something like that where he's had stuff in the past with hamstrings at least i don't know if it's the exact same thing whatever i'm not a doctor but it is as the listing on the injury report but i mean yeah chris had a contusion last playoff so we'll see are there different parts of the hamstring? I don't think so. Anyway, it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's one thing. It's Dude, one hammy. Let's, yeah, let's not. Let's not. Anyway, it's it's obviously, Mania said, it's a concern. They want to be careful with the dude who's probably your best player, in my opinion. Um, do you, th- I, I don't know if he's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come back until it's 2022. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. At this rate, it's December 9th. Um, there's no reason to throw him out there. It, and I think the Spurs game was a good one where it's like, okay, here's like a completely average, fine NBA team. Mikel's back. If, if you can float and keep winning, um, you know, every two or three games, you're fine. And you don't need to rush him back. Do you agree? I don't know. Oh, a week from Sunday, they play Charlotte at home. And then they're in L.A., so right there uh, on Tuesday. And then that is the week of the Christmas game. They've got four straight at home. Somewhere in there. 
over those 10 days, I think he'll come back. I don't think he's coming back for at least another week. So yeah. I think this is just, again, I am not reporting anything for the love of everything. I am not <laughs> reporting anything. I don't think he's going to play against Boston on Friday. I don't think he's going to play against – I think that's a pretty much guarantee. Um, I don't think he's going to play against L.A. on uh, Monday, and I don't think he's going to play the second game of a back-to-back in Portland on Tuesday. Thursday, uh, a week from today against Washington, who knows? Probably not um, in terms of his road to recovery. But then, like, yeah, we talk, start talking like, okay, another nine days from now in terms of getting back on the court and stuff. Yeah, sure. Maybe. Christmas? Now that he is out – there's a really big problem here where Abdul Nader is out as well, and we haven't talked about that a lot, but we talked about it a little bit. And basically what happened here is that he was, speaking of not knowing what injury report things are and not getting information, was out, I believe, for two or three games he was listed as just out because of right knee injury management. And this popped up earlier in the year as well in the injury report, but I believe he either played or missed like one game, but it has popped up a couple of times. Then he was questionable for, I believe, two games in a row. Did not play, but was questionable. And now he's just been out. And we've asked Monty a couple of times. No update on him. People have speculated that this is more than uh, is being led to believe. I'm not going to go that far. They're managing an injury. They're not lying. They're managing an injury to his right knee. It's just a matter of what it is. So his absence is pretty big here, Kevin, because... They have eight guys now in their rotation. They have the starting five, which is Shamit in for Booker. And they've got the Cams, Campaign and Cam Johnson. And then they've got JaVale McGee. And then after that, that's it. That's their eight guys. If they had Abdul Nader as the ninth and you had to throw Ish Wayne right on the floor for a couple of minutes or even Alfred for a couple of minutes, that's fine. But basically eight with the way that they're managing minutes for Jay and Chris and the other guys, which they should be. They still need to play nine or ten guys. And Monty's been playing ten, which is probably what he should be doing. He's throwing Alfred Payton out there, which is probably what he should be doing because Alfred has the most experience of his options, which were Chandler Hutcherson, Jalen Smith, Ish Wainwright, and that guy. And that's it because Frank Kaminsky and Dario Sarge are still out as well. Uh, Alfred Payton's been playing off the ball a bit. He doesn't have experience playing off the ball. We talked to him about it today. And he's like, I did in New Orleans for a bit, but not really. And then I asked him what the biggest adjustment is to uh, to playing off the ball. And his, the start of his answer was, I don't know, which I, tells you a lot about the position that he's being put in and, and the difficulty of that. Like He is a guy that has been taking a lot of flack from fans the last couple of years on respective teams, but choosing now is the time to roast his play when he's playing a role that he never has in the NBA um, is kind of obvious and easy to do. He He's a really specific player, and that's why the like it was good they signed him as the third guard, and it was kind of clunky. Third point guard. Yeah, third yeah. point guard, sorry. And it was kind of clunky when you look at it because um, he has been a ball dominant. He's not going to do a whole lot. Can't space the floor. Um, obviously, he playmakes going to the rim. I do believe like he's a decent defender. Like yes. He can defend wings, smaller I, wings. I believe he's an above-average defender at his yeah. position, for sure. So they can use him in the kind of the Abdel Nader spot. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of by necessity right now, and I, I think Landry Shamit minutes is the most interesting, just because you get a kind of sense of where he's at, and he can maybe snap into gear. Um, he's had a couple good shooting games lately since he entered the starting lineup for Book, so I think they can get value out of it. But I guess going back to the main points, 
my biggest concern right now is not even like they don't have enough playmakers or whatever, which they're going to survive because of just how good their offense is. But uh, I, minutes aside, I don't think you want to ride Chris Paul that heavily for too long. Um, like he's 39 be- and uh, 36 for him in uh, the Brooklyn Golden State and then 33, 32, 35. Yeah. I mean, those are, I'm just saying those are heavier minutes, but you can tell like he's in super like protection mode and, and rightly so where like, yeah, campaign, you can bring it up. Alfred bring it like whoever is, he, is with him. He's not initiating offense every single time. So I think he's trying to um, take a lot of the load off himself because as we saw in the Spurs game and I think the Pistons game, he needs to carry a lot of the weight down the stretch and he's been good so far but i just there's worry if this is prolonged in any way without book so i i think that's just something to keep in mind so the way that i would describe it for for alfred is he's a read and react player he is going to bring the ball up look at where the defense is the play is going to be run he is going to have a couple of seconds to read it again and then he is going to react when you're off the ball it's just react you don't have time to read anything you just go and th- and that's hard. We see we've seen a couple of times where he's just put himself in awkward positions passing the ball, and he's a really good passer, but he just puts himself in weird positions where you don't want to be passing the ball. That's because he's just he's playing an entirely different role that he that he never has before, and that's going to lead to some struggles. But it's what they need to do right now. Uh, our friend Mike Vihill over on the Timeline Podcast pointed this out on Twitter the other day. Cameron Payne's usage percentage is at twenty seven point six percent. Right now, I believe that is a pretty big jump compared to last year. And I think that what that kind of boils down to is, I think that he is just trying really hard to remain aggressive and stay aggressive as like sort of that lead ball handler of sorts. He was at 19.8 last year, so nearly 10% up. And a lot of that, or not a lot of that, a little bit of that is inflated by um book being out a little bit of that is inflated by the stagger not really being around right now this year but i think that he is like the one guy that i point to more if we were to sit here and debate who is the guy that needs to step up more while book is out i would argue is him and i would not argue it is shamit which a lot of people would disagree with because it seems like shamit is the since abdul nader is hurt fans that just find someone else to yell at every game and it seems like it's shamit for some reason which i do not understand (laughs) personally i think that he has played adequately i think that where uh you yourself have said a couple of times i think that the discussion we had in the piece that i wrote about him and monty and philly and like how the handcuffs are off now we have not seen that guy yet yeah i agree with that and we I might think, we might not see that guy yeah no i'm 100 percent. i think campaign and i was pounding the table on this last finals run i think or at least western conference finals or campaign is that guy who's they need so badly and finals was when he we we pulled it up and it was like he he disappeared basically in the finals yeah they figured it out they were like shoot 15 footers go ahead yeah you're not getting to the rim we're not letting you shoot threes what he had the the bad game was the second golden state game that's fine he needed to take all those shots whatever um but yeah they need him to play well i think shamit my whole thing with him is I don't think you can criticize like how bad he's shooting, and I don't even know if he's shooting that poorly. Um, people do seem to get on him quite a lot, but I-, I think he needs to just fire away, and whatever happens, happens. It's kind of like Jay. Um, there's still value in 
creating that gravity and all that. I just don't see him as the thing you wrote about and the thing the Suns have talked about where he's this guy who could even play lead guard. Um, like, he can initiate plays, but just his... He's got to get there, though. I, I don't even know if he's initiating plays that often. Yeah. Enough. But and, I, and the way that the way that we're talking about initiating plays is like he dribbles the ball, yeah. he dribbles the ball up for he does the first four to six seconds of an action basically and then it goes from there yeah he's not running up. like the pick and roll or anything but no. he's just like and and that's still the part where I think he needs to get there first that's the next checkbox I don't even think we've gotten that checked yet that's fair but there there have been enough plays and as he's gotten more minutes with book out where the the actual playmaking stuff driving to the rim he's been I don't know what the numbers say, but just the eye test, he's not good at it. Either he's shooting into arms, passing into arms, um, just out of control. I think he's good spot-up shooting or pump fake, take a dribble or two, make a read pass that's easy, or shoot a mid-ranger. Like, early in the season, he hit some mid-rangers where it's like, oh, that's in his game. Um, I'm fine with that even because he's a really good shooter. So I think he just needs to not try to force things and um be comfortable shooting be comfortable making an easy pass out of things and that's his role but yeah that that just puts more on campaign and chris paul my interpretation of how his career has gone so far is he is a guy who needs to be reminded to stay aggressive and so the guy that does that has that problem but you also don't want him to go too quick that is like an adjustment period, and I think he's a guy who we always think of who's been around the league forever. Like he was in Miguel and DeAndre's draft class. He's still a young player that still has to get there in certain remarks, and I, I think he's played fine, and I think he's been exactly what you would – not exactly, but has been as good as you could expect for him to come into the starting lineup and be a .5 guy. I think he's figuring out more that he can like score at the rim on this team. I think he's finding out that the space is there and that there's just enough spacing for him to kind of get in there a bit. Uh, some of the shooting numbers for the team are, are kind of interesting. So Cam, so Shamit's at forty percent from three. He's only at thirty-eight on field goals, but again, he's taking four point five threes a game, six point five shots a game. So yeah. if the three number is fine, that's fine. Cam Johnson's the same exact kind of player, and he's at forty percent from three. Campaign, what would you guess his three point percentages right now? Campaign or Cam Johnson? Payne. Thirty-four. Thirty-one point eight. Yeah. So he's he was. I believe statistically the best shooter on the team last year or the second best shooter on the team behind Langston. Uh, it was one so. of those two. And he has struggled a little bit with the three ball. Jay Crowder, we're still waiting for the uptick, 33.8. There's going to be a 44% month coming at some point. And then Chris Paul is down at like 34, but Mikael Bridges is at 40.5. And then Devin Booker's at 40.3. So, so it's been a really interesting shooting year for them where they've got now statistically four very good three-point shooters right now but they've got three guys who are not very good three-point shooters right now and, and looking at the seven guys who shoot threes for them that's a seven so it's, it's it's a very interesting balance for them right now in terms of the shooting um possibilities and, and just where the numbers will even out also if, they're going with true center a lot of the time so that's one less when you had daria frank situations last year so give me so of those of those guys again, I, I named I named seven of them. Give me the top three in terms of the ones you expect to go up or go back down in terms of where they're going to go. So we got Paul at thirty four, we got uh, Campaign at thirty two, and then Jay at thirty four. Any of those guys you want to include in that group? I think Campaigns will go up. I think Campaigns will go up. Jays should go up a little bit, but it might go back Paul's, down. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. 
Paul's at. I can't go up a whole lot. Uh, what's Cam Johnson at again? 39.8. Oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have to say like any of those four guys will go down. I don't think Mikel's going to go down. I don't think Shamit's going to go down. I don't think Cam Johnson's going to go down. I guess booked by a couple, maybe 38, 37, just based on past precedent. Yeah, but also, Pains, Pains is the most likely to make a significant jump, I think. Either way. Yeah. It's an interesting variable with the team right now I thought I should bring up, and I wanted to bring that up just because if you look at Clean the Glasses, uh, overall standings, they have like a cool little last two weeks section where they look at offense, defense, rating, and things like that. Uh, Suns are fifth in defense in the last six games, so that's three and three quarters of games without Devin Booker, basically. Uh, 17th in offense. Yeah. So it seems about right. Like middle, middle ground offense, still really good defensively. And there have been moments in these games, Kevin, not even moments, just games where it's like, yeah, they miss Book's defense too. Yeah. It's just the having a perimeter player, that extra, like, bigger guard. And that's why I think Alfred Monty's going to him. It's why the Nader haters can complain all they want, but that would be a little helpful. So talk about Ish Wainwright. Go ahead. Ooh. I would like to see him get more run. No? I believe he is he has usurped Peyton in the rotation at this point. When Landry Shamit checked in during either Monday or Thursday's game, Shamit was at the bench after the first initial set of rotations, so like early second quarter, and my brain just automatically assumed he was coming in for Peyton, and then Ish left the floor, and I was like, interesting that my brain kind of did that in terms of the way that he's played already. He's basically like, he can play Crowder minutes, he can play small four. Like, he's... They can mix mix and match the wings with him just because he's a large man as you've... What was it? Uh, he could lift a sedan or something. Shoulders that could support a sedan. Yeah. Those, you could those replace the suspension on cars with his shoulders. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know yet on him. It, it, we haven't seen enough. Yeah. We just haven't seen enough. He is... And Mani, it was funny hearing him say it, and then you think about it, it's like, yeah, this is a guy that's not playing in their practices or anything, so they see him on the side in three-on-three and four-on-four, and Mani's like, yeah, I'm still getting to know his game. Like, I don't... When he made that pass to Cam Johnson the Detroit game, he was like, oh, didn't know he could do that. Uh, for him, the jumper, so he, he did not shoot at Baylor. He didn't oh, his take, Baylor numbers are awful. He didn't take threes pretty much at all until his senior year. He took like two and a half a game off the top of my head, I remember, and they were at 30% or something. They weren't really that good. That was four years ago, though. So he played he played a lot overseas in the last couple of years and had a couple more cracks at the NBA. So the jumper from a... This is where... I, I learned this thing where like five years ago I would post videos and of shooting sets and practices and stuff or after practice and before games and they would include misses and people would react to whether the ball went in or not. So now I only post when the ball goes in. <laughs> so people just don't talk about if the ball goes in or not. I post when they go in a lot in a row. I don't post when they don't go in. It's just people are so weird when, when they miss. I don't know. Anyway, so from the perspective of just watching his form up close and watching him shoot in practice, which is not indicative at all of in-game performance, he has a nice-looking jumper. It goes in a lot. I'm, so I'm interested to see over, I, I would guess off the top of my head, he's at three three-point attempts so far, maybe four. Um, I, I, and I don't think, I think uh, he hasn't, or he made one, so he's made one so far. So I, I think that for him at like one of four from three who who knows i think the more important thing for him especially on a team like this where he can survive 
this offense is not ideal for a guy who can't shoot. But if you got have a guy who can't shoot but he can do dribble stuff, it's gonna be okay. And that's I think maybe we've been a little bit surprised by Alfred where we thought off the ball, at least like IQ and like seeing the floor and stuff, he would be a little bit better. But for Ish, that's like the chops in his game that you just kinda wanna see. Or there were like two or three plays where he would get the ball, he would take one dribble in, nothing was there, and he immediately passed it to someone else. Like, great, okay, just keep it moving. That's completely fine if you do that. Yeah. If there's like twelve seconds left on the shot clock, that's completely okay. Defensively, in the right spot, not like an A plus athlete by any means. His strength is like an A plus 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 plus, but in terms of lateral movement, like he's a B B plus. So like not an absolute freak by any means, like someone like Derek Jones Jr. But he is he is a very good athlete. And I think he can stick with certain guards as well, on top of having the strength uh, for the forwards as well. So I, that that's kind of like my initial read on like him as a player. I'm interested to see, again, I just want to see him like play like 11 minutes a game here for the next yeah. couple, just to see, like, okay, how often do you see like a mix of play there? Like he had the verticality against uh, Jordan Poole in Golden State. He had that pass to Cam Johnson. Like how often do those kind of things pop up when he's actually in the rotation a bit, which I, I don't know if we'll see. Yeah, But I think if that pops up enough, you've got a guy who can play. I think one of the things watching his highlights when they signed him was just his... He's kind of... he in At least in summer league with the Raptors, he was like a black hole where if there was kind of a loose ball or a loose dribble, like he would just engulf it or like someone would make a pass and like it would hit his giant bicep or something like just it it didn't look like he was doing anything special but he was just like a nose for the ball I guess they use in football terms um and that's where the playmaking I think I'm curious about but again like you said you got to play you know 10 minutes a game at least just to kind of have enough plays where oh there's one within a little bit of a stretch so yeah I mean I, I just like watching guys like that that have unique backgrounds again his numbers in college were not good worked his way as a really cool story so um just an interesting prospect ish even though he's older okay i I like putting you on the spot Mm -hmm. in this podcast to kind of wrap things up and look at the schedule we are most teams are 25 26 games into the season how many teams would you guess have single digit losses still Six. Five. You're right there. So I think the most interesting thing to watch over the league in the next month and a half is who separates themselves. So I'm going to count right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Riveting audio right here. (laughs) So they are like half the league has between 10 and 15 losses basically right now. So to count these off. Between 10 and 15 losses, 14, we've got Milwaukee, Miami, Washington, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, Boston, New York, Toronto, then in the West, Memphis, LA, LA, Dallas, Denver, Minnesota, Sacramento, and then if we include 15, we've got Portland, San Antonio. I believe that was 17 teams I just said. So they're playing all those teams right now, basically, is my reason for reading this. They've got the Celtics, Clippers, uh, Blazers, Wizards, Hornets, Lakers, then the Thunder, who suck, then the Warriors, who are very, very good, but then Memphis, and then Oklahoma City, who sucks, but then Boston, Charlotte, New Orleans, who sucks. So 
they do not play they play Golden State one more time but they don't play the Nets or the Bulls or the Jazz and then there's this cluster of half the league and it's like okay we're pretty sure Milwaukee is going to be up there we're pretty sure Miami is going to be up there is Memphis going to be up there when Jaws back because they're doing this crazy thing right now without him Fourth in the West, they have won. Uh, they had just won, I believe, like five in a row before losing the night before. They're fourteen in eleven. That run came without Jaw. They had the first time in NBA history where a team has never not been in the lead outside of like zero zero at the start of a game for four straight games. They were in control. I can't remember the exact statistical term they used, but they did something super crazy. Yeah, so I, I don't know I, I don't know what to take away from that besides just the fact that there's like this formation period that has to happen in the league right now over the next eight weeks and it puts the Suns in a really interesting position in terms of all these teams are still trying to get there and the Suns are already there. So yeah, they're not they can make a run and, and I think it's more important just to get wins when Booker's not there to let him rest and stay atop the West. I think that's the important part here more than I don't know. It. I forgot how 82-game schedules work. Should those teams panic? I don't know. Should Milwaukee panic that they're... What? I don't know what their record is actually right now, but they've scuffled a little bit. We do not have more outright terrible teams. Yeah. That's kind of what's happening. Yeah. Even... So the Pistons are 4-20, and 20, Magic are 5-21, and 21, the Pelicans are 7-20, and 20, Rockets the Rockets have won. have won seven in a row, so they're now 8-16. and 16. But I mean, right after that 15 loss mark is 16, we've got the Rockets, we've got the Thunder, and we've got the Pacers. So I mean, there are only like three or four, usually in the league, like a third of the league is just awful, and we haven't really seen that. Parody, it's just, yeah. There's a, a whole lot of parody, not only at the top, but mostly it's like I said, like spots five through 23, no idea. I have no idea. Like if you told me, I, can we rule out the Timberwolves and Kings for the top 10? Probably. That's probably safe to say, but could they be at 18 or 19? Maybe. The Kings are just like first to 140. Let's go <laughs> under Alvin. I love it. Yeah. Shout out Alvin. <laughs> always going to be and always going to be able to Free play that role. Bagley. Didn't he get freed? It was it was when Walton was playing, right? Something amongst that. Is there a team there that I mentioned before we go that interests you the most? Washington is the one for me just because they've lost, I think, 8 of 11 is the number that I saw. So now everyone's acting like, oh, this was all fake and whatever. It's like, no, there's, there was something there, but it's can they get back to what was working before? Charlotte has like a million players out with COVID right now. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't want to really mention them. Man, I keep... Going back to the Cavs, this has nothing to do with the Suns, but the Cavs are so fun. Darius Garland is starting to do all this stuff now that Sexton's been hurt. Um, yeah. Fun team, sorry. I'm also interested by both LA teams. Who's going to figure it out Ooh. quicker? Who do your pick? So right now the Clippers, the Clippers, by the way, were right there with the Suns in Utah in terms of like hot starts to the year, and then they... They really struggled. They're fourteen and twelve, and the Lakers are thirteen and twelve. Who would you bet figures it out quicker? Are the Lakers healthy now? Kinda. Let like me rephrase wrong. the question. Do you think one of those two teams is going to be fourth in the West? Because it's going to be Jazz, Suns, Warriors. One, two, three, in some order. Nuggets have fallen off. Dallas. No, thank you. Oh, I would put Clippers there. Yeah. I don't know why they've fallen off. They should still be decent. 
of all the years for Portland to be going through a mess, you know? <laughs> yeah. We talk about, I, I've talked about on years for here how they don't get enough credit for how consistently pretty good they've been. They've never been great. They made the Western Conference Finals once, which is an accomplishment for sure. But there is like an opening right now for a just consistently solid team like Memphis to like potentially be top four in the West right now and Portland sitting there at 11 15 and being in trade rumors every other day. James going on the latest night Sports Center out of nowhere and just being like, I'm good. Everything's, like trying to put out fires, poor guy. Everything's all good in there. They they should do stuff, right? They shouldn't just sit there. CJ, Nurk, They got Covington. some players, yeah. Why is Covington just suddenly afraid to shoot the ball? I don't understand. His legs don't work like they used to either. Yeah, he was always like a, mo- a limited mobility guy who was always overrated defensively. People tried to make the case in Philly that he was like one of the three, four best defenders in the world. I was like, eh, no, he's, he's a really good defender, but let's not go that far. Now it's kind of dropping off for him. All right, I'm needless to say, I think that that was my like extended ramble there with you involved on just like I'm really fascinated by that part of the league and just how the Suns play against these teams in the next like six weeks or so. Because I think there's another. I would not be surprised if they were like thirty and seven. the The league is super intriguing, and like the Suns, fair the Suns fans who like watch every sports center and stuff get mad or first takes or whatever get mad that the Lakers are like the subject but the Suns are like the same as last year they're kind of boring to be honest because they're so good and they just keep doing the same thing like there's a lot more drama to talk about elsewhere which for the Suns you take that you just keep on winning you don't need the drama I mean that's how I see that anyway I think it's going to be a good sign if they go two and one on this on this this is a sneaky tough three games friday boston who's not really playing that well but then the road back to back of clippers blazers is kind of sneaky tough blazers played tough against the warriors last night yep i think that'll be a good sign if they go two and one yeah uh, on that road let me make sure this woe notification is not for nope it's just oh, what i said hornets. where the hornets have five <laughs> players now in covid protocols great that's We're a problem fine. kevin yeah it's still a problem it's like i thought it was it's still another p word too it's still a pandemic that we're going through believe it or not it turns out it's still a pandemic all right well <laughs> hopefully another variant doesn't drop by the time we hit next spot all right everyone on that just sunshine Andy and no. rainbows note goodbye